0: It's good to have each one of you here, and um, we'll talk about Father's Day in just a minute. I do want to make a note of a couple things that are in the bulletin. In the Sunday school hour, over the next weeks in the summer, we are working through an excellent video series that was put out by Focus on the Family called The Truth Project. It is a worldview study To help us understand and to build our lives on the Word of God. To understand and know areas in our life where we have bought the lie of Satan or of the world. And to help us identify them things and to bring our mind, first of all, into conformity to the Word of God. What God has revealed in His Word. And so we're watching these videos. We're actually beginning... The first video next week, this week we did an introductory, and those videos are an hour long, which means we typically start Sunday school at 9.30. We will be beginning in here with the adults at 9.15. So if you get here at 9.30, you will miss the first 15 minutes of the video, okay? So make sure you note that want to encourage you to be here for Sunday school and to take in those classes. Make a note, as was already said, there's Wilderness Cowboy Church next week. We will be at the Thane Riding Arena and we will be beginning at 4:30 and then we'll have the service and the meal around 6. Many of you knew Daryl and Jean Benshoof, some of you may not have, Uh, Both Daryl and Jean passed away this past year during the COVID stuff, and with all of that, they were over in Idaho Falls at a a, uh, long-term care facility. And so because of that, there was never a good time to have a big um, celebration of life service for both of them. And so that will be on the 29th. Um, the family of the bench um Katie and Zach will be here, as well as Jim and, and some of the other children. And um, any of you, of course, are invited to that service, and I want you to make a note of that. And uh, if you can attend, I know that would be a great encouragement to the Benshoofs uh, to see you here. Um, so there's other things that are in the bulletin. Make a note of them. Today is Father's Day. All of you guys that are fathers, stand up for a minute. We want to say thank you to you by just giving you a hand and thanking you. You know, guys, it is a tremendous blessing that the Lord entrusts to us children the Lord entrusts to us a wife to nurture, to protect, to provide for uh, to build a home for the glory of God and truly guys the very most important thing that we do in life is not our occupation it is our home and it is building our home for the glory of God And so, guys, you know, I just want to encourage all of us today, as we think of Father's Day, that we truly commit ourselves anew to the Lord. You know, as people come to you and say, Happy Father's Day, we're so thankful that people do that. But most important is that us guys, you know, examine ourselves before the Lord and truly ask that the Lord would help us to be the men of God that God wants us to be and to build our lives and our homes on the Word of God and how important that is. So as you leave today, guys, we want to just say a short thank you to you. So guys, go out the center doors as you leave. Don't slip down the side if you can help it. I know you probably got to get to lunch and other things, but come out by me. Um, This year at uh, Mother's Day, we gave all the mothers a bath bomb so this year for us guys we're not going to get bath bombs it's a fishing year so i've got some different fishing things you can go out and if you're a bobber guy you can get a bobber or if you're a fly fishing guy you can get some flies or you can get some hooks or whatever it is and uh, there's a couple of lures and different things like that and so maybe you're not much of a fishing guy but maybe you got a grandson that is so come out that way anyway and grab something and you can pass it on to your grandson or your son. And um, it's just a little way that we can say to you thank you as a church for the important responsibility that God has given to us as men. And I hope we truly do take that seriously and look to him for his grace. Bibles and turn to me to Romans chapter 9, you wonder what in the world does Romans chapter 9 have to do with butterflies? Stick around for a little bit and we'll talk about it. It's not about what's in your belly when you're thinking about getting up to speak or something like that. I'm not talking about those kind of butterflies. We will be talking some about the patriarchs. Uh, Keith read to us in the scripture today the story of Jacob, who was one of the patriarchs of Israel. He is mentioned in this text, and that's why we read that in the scripture reading. And so as we do that, we're going to make some observations and some applications to us as men as well. I always, obviously, we all think of our fathers on Father's Day. And um, my father was the most important influence in my life growing up. And I thank the Lord for him, a godly man who loved the Word of God and taught us as children the Word of God Made it his emphasis and his greatest joy. I remember when when he became a Christian as a young man. He died when he was 51, 50, 51, of cancer. And uh, he was a strong man. And I saw cancer just take him to nothing. And uh, that was hard. But when he became a Christian, truly his life was completely transformed by the Lord. He was in the Air Force at the time. My dad served quite a stint of time in the Air Force during the Vietnam era and uh, ended up being discharged medically, um, probably because of exposure to Agent Orange that uh, ended up destroying his gut and probably ended up then giving him lymphoma. But I I remember he he fell in with the Navigators. Any of you heard of the ministry of the Navigators? And I remember as a young boy, everywhere my dad went, he had in his pocket, packet of Scripture memory verses. And any time he didn't have something he was doing, he'd pull them out, and he was memorizing God's Word. I remember as a young boy on the farm after he got out of the military and uh, we lived on a farm in Pennsylvania that's where I spent a good portion of my childhood after my dad got out of the military and he was an upholsterer by trade although we lived on the farm and uh, his upholstery shop sat in a part of the barn that he remodeled to make into a place to work and do furniture and I remember getting up in the morning And where my room sat, I could look across the barnyard and across the yard and could see the barn. And a lot of times in the winter, it'd be dark. And my dad would be already at work. He was having to work all the time because he had so many of us kids and had to put food on the table. But early in the morning, I'd see him. He'd be sitting at at his upholstery machine, his sewing machine, and he'd have his Bible open and he'd be sitting there reading God's Word. I remember as a child a story he told me that was very instrumental in my life. I probably won't get all the details right, but I'll remember it the way he told it to me as much as I can remember it. When he was in the military, he worked on F-100 fighter jets. He was a jet engine mechanic. And uh, I think at the time he was in England, he was attached to NATO. And uh, him and his crew, he was a whatever sergeant that is, master sergeant or whatever, so he had the crew under him, he was in charge of the airplane, had to change out a jet engine in this F-100. And they changed it out. And uh, he told me the story that whenever they were done, What the job was always to do was to get that jet idling, and then to crawl into it. They called it a scoop check. It would crawl down into that motor, and they would make sure everything was tight and everything was good so that it would fly. They got it in. It was late, and they didn't do the scoop check. And the next day, that guy, the F-100 fighter pilot, took off with that jet and the engine came apart. And he had to eject and he survived it. And after all the rigmarole, obviously my dad's crew was called in and asked, what did you do wrong? And one of the guys who was on the crew with my dad said, When we go in and talk to that commander, we're going to tell him we did a scoop check. And my dad said, No, we're not. We didn't do the scoop check. It was our fault. That's the kind of man my dad was. I could say I wish I was always that kind of man. He was a man of principle. He was a man of unflinching integrity and I thank the Lord greatly for him you know a lot of you have lost fathers a lot of you are fathers may we be those kind of men men of truth men of principle men who stand on the word of God As we look at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 13, I'm not going to read the entire text again today. We're going to focus our message on two parts. We're going to talk about God's covenant with Israel. And then we're also going to talk about the eight blessings that came to Israel because of God's choice. He mentions them in the first portion of this, and that's what we'll read. We've already read through verse 13 on two occasions. And we'll jump ahead at times to look into those verses again. Although next week, we're going to really begin to delve into the subject of, is there injustice with God? If God chose Jacob and he rejected Esau, was that just? Is there injustice with God? One of the things we'll see, and you know the story of Jacob, he was not always a man of integrity, was he? That's why in the story, remember he took the heel of Esau and they named him Jacob because he was a deceiver, he was a supplanter. Charles Spurgeon said of that verse at the end of verse 13 when he says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Spurgeon said of that, the wonder. The wonder is not that God hated Esau. The mystery is that God loved Jacob. We always focus on that, don't we? Why did God hate Esau? Well, that's nothing. Wrong. Why did God love Jacob? There was absolutely nothing in Jacob to deserve God's love. Notice with me these these verses again. He says, "I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ, for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites." And then notice what this means. The eight blessings. To them. Belongs the adoption. To them. Belongs the glory. The covenants. The giving of the law. The worship. The promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race. According to the flesh, is the Christ who's God over all, blessed forever. Amen. The eight blessings that Israel received as a result of God's covenant. But let's think first of all about God's covenant. What happened to Israel? Aren't they God's chosen people? Why did they reject Jesus? Do you remember in John chapter 1? God tells us there in John chapter 1. He came to his own. He came to his own people. Who were the recipients of the prophecies and the promises. Who had searched the scriptures. Who knew the word of God. He came to his own. And what happened? His own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him. What happened? To them he gave the power to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. What happened to Israel? Why did they reject Jesus? I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 28 for a minute. What we're going to talk about for the next couple minutes is very foundational to some of our understanding of the big picture of the Bible. What God is doing in the Bible. In the unfolding story of redemption. In Acts chapter 28, a man named the Apostle Paul has just arrived in the city of Rome. What book are we studying right now? Romans, okay? Which is the church at Rome, okay? I wanted to bring that together in your thinking because sometimes we don't put that together. When we are reading Romans chapter 9 through 11 and we talk about Israel, let's put that in the context of the Apostle Paul who has been in Rome and he is a prisoner there for his faith. And while he's a prisoner there, notice what happens at the end of the book of Acts. This is very important in our understanding of the big picture of what's going on here. Notice this. In verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, these are his countrymen, the Israelites. They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, That's a long sermon. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. And he was doing this from what? The Law of Moses, verse five books, and from the prophets. All the messages in the prophets concerning Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. This is not very seeker friendly. I can't imagine saying this to people, okay? Getting up in church after somebody rejected your sermon. I mean, look what Paul says. Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but you will never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Then notice what Paul says. Therefore. Let it be known to you. That this salvation of God. Has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen and then it closes by saying what happens to paul think about this for a minute when the church began it began in jerusalem and in israel correct and everybody in the church was a what a jew over a period of time gentiles begin to come into the church But for the first period of time, the church was predominantly ethnic Jews. At this transition, ethnic Judaism becomes a very small minority of the church, so that today the church is primarily what? Gentiles. Why? Because the salvation of God has come to the Gentiles and we have listened. And ethnic Jews are a very small minority of the church. By the time we get to Romans chapter 11, we will see that there is prophesied a time of great regathering of ethnic Jews. Where once again, those that are Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh will in great numbers embrace Jesus. But what is interesting, we will see in Romans chapter 11, that does not mean that Jews become predominant in the church. What he says is the regathering of Israel will mean greater fruit among the Gentiles. So parallel to the regathering of Israel in great revival and repentance, there will also be tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all the nations. We'll see that. So what happened to Israel? Why does this happen? I want you to think about what is the relationship between Israel, Old Testament Israel, New Testament church? Let's think about this for a minute. In the Old Testament, a lot of times you see the seed of a truth. In the New Testament, you see the flower. In the Old Testament, you see the shadow. In the New Testament, you see the substance. And what I want us to think about concerning Israel is this truth. How is Israel and the church related? There are different schemes or schools of thought that we are taught as we go through church. One of them is called dispensationalism. One of them is called Covenantalism. And these schools of thought seek to explain the relationship between Israel and the church. Within Dispensationalism, a lot of times, I think there is too much separation between Israel and the church. It makes them too distinct. Within Covenantalism, sometimes there is a downplaying of a future that God may have for Israel or does have for Israel. And so there's kind of a replacement theology. Like now, the church did away with Israel. And God doesn't have any use for Israel going forward. This becomes important when we think about God's promises. And God's covenants. So what does this look like? How is the church in Israel related? Let's think about it this way. The butterfly doesn't replace the caterpillar, does it? The butterfly is the caterpillar. The butterfly is the caterpillar in a more developed and consummate form. The caterpillar grew into the butterfly. The butterfly is what God intended for the caterpillar to become. Likewise, the church does not replace Israel. Israel matures into the church. And is what God always intended for the church to be. It is the mature form of the kingdom. Go with me to the book of Isaiah. I want you to see something in Isaiah 49. We'll do this real quick and then we'll get into the meat of the message. But I want to show you this. This is a really important promise. Look in Isaiah 49. Look at what God says in Isaiah 49. He says, Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, Israel said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right hand, my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Notice this redemption theme. That Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, now notice this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light to all the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now you can see there, he's talking about the servant Israel. But he also talks about it in relationship to Jesus and his work. There's prophesied in there not only things concerning God's servant Israel, but also God's servant Jesus. And you will notice there that Jesus' work is not only to redeem Jacob and Israel, but also to what? Bring the salvation of God To all the nations. It was God's intended purpose through Jesus. Not just to redeem Israel, but to redeem who? All the nations. The church was not an afterthought. It was not like when Jews rejected Jesus then God decided, okay, since they rejected me, now I'm going to take the gospel message to people who will hear. No. It was God's intended purpose all along. Now, let's look at the eight blessings. Let's do these real quick. Go back to Romans chapter 9. I wanted to bring that to your thinking because we're going to come back to that at various times as we go through this extended passage Talking about the relationship of Israel and the church. And what I want to do is think of the eight blessings that Israel received as a result of the covenant. In some form. When you are raised in a Christian home. You find yourself as a recipient of great blessing because of the covenant. Just like Israel did. Blessings that those who are outside the covenant and outside the faith don't understand and don't have. It doesn't mean that everybody, every individual who finds himself in a covenant body is an individual believer. Nevertheless, there are great blessings that come with being a part of God's people. Now, God mentions eight. He mentions them specifically as they relate to Israel, but I would suggest they relate to us as well. Especially to you young people who are being raised in Christian homes. To them belonged the adoption. Now we could say that the doctrine of adoption has been expanded in the New Testament in a way that those in the Old Testament didn't understand. So as we saw in Romans chapter 8 we have received not a spirit again to fear but we have received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out Abba Father. The Jews too stood in a filial relationship to God. They were adopted as children mentions this several times in the Mosaic Law. This was a great blessing. Number two, the second thing he mentions is the glory. The glory. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Shekinah glory cloud of God. You see this at various times in the Old Testament. You see it descend on the temple. You see it descend on the tabernacle. But you also see it in the wilderness wanderings, don't you? So that wherever the Jews went, they were preceded by the glory cloud of God. At night, it looked like a a pillar of fire. During the day, it was a cloud. And wherever they journeyed, it directed them. When it stopped, they stopped. The glory cloud. This was God's presence in their midst to protect them and to provide for them. When the Egyptians come up against them at the Red Sea, what does God do? He gives them a full night to cross the Red Sea because his glory cloud goes between the Egyptians who are coming in force and the Israelites who are fleeing and will not let them go until the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea safely and then the glory cloud lifts, they see the way open in front of them and the foolish Egyptians plunge in headlong and are destroyed by the waters. The glory, God's presence To protect and provide. The third thing you see is the covenants. This is God's binding oath. God's binding oath. Covenants are important. We make covenants with people, don't we? Do we keep them? God always does. He made three with, with the Jews. The first one is what we call the Abrahamic Covenant. It is given in three forms. It is a promise of the land. I will give you a land. The second is the Mosaic Covenant. In the Mosaic Covenant, God meets with them at Mount Sinai, and he makes a covenant with them to form them as a nation. And he gives to them his moral law, his ceremonial law, and his civil commandments for the way they govern their life. The third covenant he makes with them is what we call the Davidic covenant. It is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. When God says to David, from you, A seed will come who will sit on your throne. And that is Jesus Christ. These are God's binding oaths with his people. The giving of the law. How do you know what God wants you to do with your life? The Jews knew. They knew every aspect of life. In the Mosaic law... They had the revealed will of God that governed every aspect of their life. What they ate, what they drank, where they went, who they married. It gave to them a picture, a snapshot of what God wanted them to do in life. They did not doubt they knew God's will. That does not mean they followed it any more than we do. The next blessing was the worship. The worship. This was access to God's presence through priests. We call it the Levitical system, the sacrificial system. This enabled them to deal with their sin. To be right with God. It pointed to Christ. It was a national system of worship. The next one is the promises God's many statements of his plan and prophetic utterances. The prophecies that God made to Israel are promises by God that will be fulfilled by God. The word of God has not failed. He is working out His purpose and His plan. God makes promises to us. And it tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 1, That in Christ, those promises are yes and amen. His promises have not failed. This is important. In fact, he gets to that in verse 6 and 7. When he says in verse 6, It is not as though the word of God had failed. The failure on the part of the Jews was not a failure in the promises of God. The next thing is the patriarchs. These are the founders of the nation. Who are the patriarchs? The word just simply means fathers. That's all of it. The word means fathers. They are the fathers of the nation. Who is the father of America? Do they still teach that in history? Amen. God. The patriarchs of Israel are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not Esau. Esau was the oldest. He should have been the chosen one, right? Why did God choose Jacob? We will deal with that a little bit more next week. But let's just think about something here. Abraham was a man of faith. Was his faith flawless? No. But he was a man of faith. It is important to note Abraham was not chosen by God because he was a man of faith. Abraham was chosen by God, and because he was chosen by God, he became a man of faith. This is very important in the scripture. Isaac is a well digger, Jacob is a deceiver. But by the end of his life, you see that Jacob is the one of all who blesses, he is continually blessing. You know who he even blesses? The Pharaoh. The ruler of the ancient kingdoms. He comes to Jacob and Jacob blesses him. He becomes a blesser. Now what I want us to think about here for a minute is this. All of the patriarchs, guys, talking to us as fathers. All of them were very imperfect men. You read the story. They were imperfect men who were the products of imperfect times. But they nevertheless relied on the promises of God. And they lived their lives on the word of God even though they were very imperfect. Read the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all three of them would have been disqualified as elders in a church today. They were imperfect men. You know, we live in this day of stupidity in America. When we look back on our history, and every man who had some flaw because he was a product of the times in which he lived, we're going to throw him under the bus. stupidity. They were imperfect men. They lived in imperfect times. But so do we. So do we. But they were men who clung to the promises of God. And so must we. And so must we. So. They were the race. By which the Messiah came. Now these are great privileges. But those great privileges also brought great responsibility. America has been privileged and blessed like no other place on the planet. But that blessing entails grave responsibility. And sometimes we look at history and we think, how could Israel do that? And history will look at us and will say, how could America do that? For we have been recipients of the choicest bounties and blessings of heaven. And woe is on us for what we have become. To where we live in a day where we as a nation are thumbing our nose at the God who gives us breath. Woe is us. Let us pray. Lord, I think of the story in the book of Ezekiel when you were talking with the prophet. You said, I looked all amongst them and I could not find a man. It would stand in the gap and would make up the hedge so I would not destroy the land. In the days of Sodom there was Lot. In the days of Ezekiel there was no one. When you look at this country I thank you that you still see men who are faithful. Not because of anything in them, but because of the spirit of God who dwells in us. And by your grace, you have preserved us a nation. I pray, Father, that you would bring us back to yourself. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Would you stand as we sing our closing song together? spread your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.